everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Autism podcast. Today's episode is titled Easing, inverted commas, the just getting through the day-to-day stuff. To remind you before I begin that there is currently a lovely big price drop on my website that is www.autismthreads.co.uk. It is a 50% price drop on all tops and t-shirts. And if you buy a t-shirt, you can also then get a accessory, either a cap, lanyard, keyring, wristband, pin badge, tote bag for half price as well. So both those two are running together and you will find the codes on the announcement bar on the website homepage and they both end on the 31st of October. So get in while you can and there is definitely still stock left, but... uh, not not much. <laughs> I will tell you why this is happening a bit later on. So right, today, you know, as, as parents of autistic children, there is an awful lot of work. In fact, the bulk of what we end up spending our time on is the background issues and the things we end up sort of seeking professional advice about or finding help for is all to do with the very important systems that we are controlled by and that we have to abide by in terms of our children's education, their health and their care, sort of, you know, social, emotional well-being. And it's absolutely all-consuming. It is often filled with conflicting opinions. It can either be super expensive or super time-consuming or depress, have depressingly long wait lists. And it's generally what, what is most talked about. You know, when <laughs> I feel so little of what is talked about is the fact that as parents, we go away from these meetings and these discussions and these form fillings and these therapists chats and all these things that consumers about what we should be doing for our child and where they are at and what their needs are and how those needs need to be met that you know there is nobody there sitting with you as the main caregiver or parent helping you just get through the day today all of this advice and information and hard work and form filling and meetings go on in the background and all those people in that picture walk away without ever acknowledging what you are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Every day, so many parents of autistic children who are struggling are really having an exhausting and very emotionally draining time, both them and their child, simply getting dressed, having breakfast, getting out the door to school. The parents then spending those hours while the child is at school with absolute so much stress so much worry so much concern for how their child's day is going then it's the coming home then it's the often you know exhaustion possible meltdowns from what they've had to cope with during the day then it's the getting them fed then it's bath then it's bedtime then it's getting them to actually fall asleep and then before you know it you wake up and the whole thing starts over again And as much as there may be other members in the family who are really, really, absolutely 100% supportive and willing to help, it's often only that main caregiver parent that the autistic child 
trusts and respects enough to help them, especially when they're dysregulated. So it's very difficult for people close by and support helpers to then step in or take over or give that main parent caregiver a break. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Just getting through the day today. I, I, I can't tell you the number of times where, you, where, you, where I've sat down and thought, I just, I just need someone. <laughs> I need someone to come into my home and witness and observe the dynamic and the relationship between me and my son and what I am actually talking about when I say we are struggling in the home and what I am meaning when I say he won't get dressed in the morning or we cannot get him into the car because so often I felt like I just wasn't fully believed and in, in worse scenarios I, I almost had to prove <laughs> had to prove it which I you know especially on the social care side which I just don't go there um, so I'm going that's the area I'm going to focus on today and I hope for parents new to this journey that you really do pick up some of those little gems you know that we all have had um, along the way from various sources sometimes even from strangers just those little gems of advice or information or even validation that that you cling on to and for those of you who are well into your journey and can resonate with what I'm saying and thought, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, we got it. We did that. Yep, that really helped. Well, that's fantastic. There we go. We're a community. We are going through so many similar experiences day to day. It's wonderful for us to come together and be a voice in that way. I also need to say that I am sure there are many professional <laughs> slash legal terms for the things I'm going to talk about. But if you are a parent, anything like me, I have struggled to absorb, retain or even access or even even have the desire to, to tap into the whole academic research side, mainly because I'm too busy trying to get through every single day. And we parents and caregivers are massively sleep deprived and exhausted and are so overwhelmed by the work we don't even feel we can cope with in the background just around those blasted EHCP documents. It's, it's a lot to learn and take on. I have kind of discovered in hindsight sometimes that, that what I had been doing with my child is exactly what the professionals call XYZ, but I had no idea. And, you know, huh, would have been nice if this has happened a few years before. <laughs> so, yes, maybe I can cut off a couple of years for a few parents here. And, and again, please, this is not gospel. This is just parent speak. And if you think it will work for you and you're happy to try it, great. If not, don't listen. Go away. Choose another episode. Choose another podcast. It's absolutely fine. Just to step in here and say that you can access my podcast on any platform for free from wherever you get your podcasts. You do not have to access them on the day they are released. They are always there, so you can tap into them anytime. And the reason I am having the big price drop on my website is that I am going to be changing, moving into a slightly new area. I'm going to be changing the name to The Threads of Life, Embracing Family Life and Neurodiversity. That will become the new name of the podcast. There will be a website homepage. It will be mainly dedicated to this podcast, to my blogs, to my newsletter that you can sign up to. And maybe, maybe, maybe just one ultimate T-shirt. So I am stepping away from all the product, basically. <laughs> so yes, you can look forward to those changes and seeing how it all looks towards December.
you know, I do, I, I do also want to say here before I go into the specifics of the little tidbits I've learned over the years is that, you know, as emotionally difficult, draining, exhausting, confusing as this can be for parents, I have the most enormous amount of respect for the autistic children themselves and for the huge amounts of patience, forgiveness, and unconditional love that they have with and for us parents. In my case, if the situation were reversed and I was the Henry experiencing what he has to experience on a daily basis, my distress, hysteria, anxiety, meltdowns would be tenfold what his are or ever have been. You know, the more I learn about autism, the more enlightened I become to how fully competent they all are, even non-speaking autistic people, and how much the sensory environment affects them. It's, it's so deep. And the more I experience and the more I learn, the more I realize how frustrated autistic people are in their own bodies and how unbelievably resilient, patient, intuitive, and deeply caring they are too. To be living in a world and going to schools that are not designed for the way your brain works, let alone coping with the environment that isn't right, to then on top of that be considered as though you are sort of lacking in cognition or that you're a bit behind or you have a deficit or you're not that interested in connecting with others or you're a bit odd is just it's just so deeply tragic to me that I truly wonder how they find the will and the energy to get through every day that they do. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is a biggie. I learned years later that it's actually called transitions. It's, um, I think, impacts all autistic people in some way, and particularly non-speaking autistic children. So it's had a massive, um, it is a massive part of my son's struggles. And so what I mean by transitioning is basically sort of moving from one environment to another. And for a long time, I didn't even hear the word transition, but I, I, I do remember myself describing that my son was really struggling to go from home to school or, you know, to go from home somewhere new on holiday or to go to the shops and back again. And I knew that obviously the shops can be, mean a whole lot of different things and a different shop means a totally new experience for him each time. I had learned that much about my son, but I couldn't really understand when I had prepared him, whether I was trying a visual cue or information or slowing my words down so that he could process things, why we were still struggling. And, and then it took even longer to realize that actually transitions can be broken down into much smaller things as well. So even within the home, a you know, upstairs to downstairs is a transition. Kitchen to lounge is a transition. Kitchen and lounge are two totally different environments. And when your child is dysregulated, how often we sort of think, well, they were, they were perfectly happy, happy five minutes ago. You haven't clocked the change in the environment because your body can just do it and handle it. And your brain doesn't even, it's not even aware it's dealing with it. And 
and you you want to fix it and you want to stop it you want to stop the dysregulation and you want to fix it and you're like okay why is he doing this and you jump to all these conclusions maybe he didn't eat enough or he's hungry or he's tired or maybe he's not feeling well you know especially with a non-speaker it's just guess 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 (laughs) and the first thing that should go through your mind is actually the environment think about what's changed in the environment Because if I am sitting in the lounge happily with Henry, which is his domain, he's very comfortable in this room and somebody else enters the room. Yeah, we are a family. Other people are (laughs) allowed to come into the lounge. The minute they enter the lounge, the entire environment has changed. There's another body in the room. The temperature will change. The air changes when the door is being opened. The sound changes. Those, Those things impact him massively. And... You have to keep reminding yourself to be conscious of them and to be aware, the lighting, everything, and and their their ability to see all the detail in their environment as well. So if I move a side table even 10 centimeters, Henry will know. He will know it is remarkable. So transitions can be so many things and, and happening hundreds of times a day, and they are extremely difficult for our children to deal with. So... That's where the sort of predictability comes in. You know, they like predictability because their bodies are always in a state of, you know, high alert because they know that they might struggle to cope with any kind of change in the environment. So they are constantly on high alert. And by us helping them, by setting their expectations, by meeting those expectations and by making things predictable for them, it helps enormously. And obviously there's many, many ways we can do that. And, I, and I'll tap into that in a second. And I mean, this is, this is not, I'm start, I feel like I'm starting to sound like a teacher, which I am absolutely not. When you think about the, the, the typical, you know, what we were all raised with, little children will wake up in their bedrooms and they will get dressed nicely with their clothes in their room. They will brush their teeth and their hair and they will come down and sit nicely and have breakfast because that's what good, respectable children do. Okay, I don't know if any other parents can resonate with this yet, but there is also a whole other regulation, regulation system going on, which is the internal body. And if my son's tummy is drops below half halfway oh my goodness his ability to regulate goes out the window and whilst he might not eat till he's full full he definitely needs that tummy to remain half and above half so I am constantly topping him up and why then even if we've only had four hours sleep would I consider making him do all those things before he gets his breakfast so no just change the rules in your home he wakes up he has breakfast in his pajamas on the floor, in the lounge, with a bowl of cereal in his lap, if that is where he needs to have his breakfast. Then we think about getting dressed. Now we're going to transition back upstairs. Do we want to do that? Can he cope with that? Why not bring the uniform downstairs to the lounge? He could get changed in the lounge. You could have the toothbrush and hairbrush in a downstairs loo. Does that make you a terrible parent and make him any less of a respectable child? No, it does not. But you have just cut out about four or five transitions you know, that's a massive help. So it's just clocking and thinking about those little things. Um, And it's weird how how much we sort of feel like, no, no, they must, they must get dressed properly. How how these things socially were drummed into us, (laughs) our generation, and and even worse, (laughs) older generations is is beyond me anyway. Um, And again, you know, you can tap into that sensory side through all the senses so the, so there's so many more senses than just the five basic ones that we know and you have to think about their visual 
they're auditory, they're kinesthetic, they're tactile, and try to connect with what speaks to them, i.e., especially if you have a non-speaking child, you know, how they are receiving their information and what they are taking their cues from when you know they themselves cannot communicate with traditional speech. So, for instance, you know, helping with those transitions is is my son, I've learned, uses visual objects as a cue. So there was a time when he was really, really struggling and we had decided to strip away all language because it seemed to agitate and stress him out so much. Everything became extremely neutral, no demands. Another thing you can use fantastically well is your own tone of voice. Try whispering, try a deep voice, try a strong voice, try a loud voice, try a very encouraging voice. Figure out what your child responds to. It can make an enormous difference. And so we realized, well, he was, you know, I couldn't basically get him in the car, (laughs) in the family car. And my husband was working abroad Monday to Friday at the time. We're in winter. I have two other children waiting in car parks in the pitch dark to be collected. And I cannot get the nine, 10 year old Henry in the car. And I mean, this is not, you know, parents of autistic children will resonate with me here. When I say I cannot get him in the car, I seriously mean I cannot get him in the car. Not, you know, granny in the background going, what do you mean you can't get him in the car? Just, you know, pick him up and put him in the car. Um, No, I mean, I I don't know how to describe the situation, but it's no. (laughs) And we sort of figured out, well, okay, so he's not, it's not the car because he gets into a taxi every day. So there's nothing wrong with a car, but why does he get into the taxi every day? And then I thought, well, okay, I am now, I'm just standing there in the morning holding his school backpack and all I am doing to get his attention is saying, okay, like something completely neutral. (laughs) And he's turning to look and he sees his backpack and he gets into the taxi. So we're like, oh, ping, light bulb, get another backpack for the home and the family. And oh my goodness, from that day forward, I can't tell you how many months we had been struggling with this. And I just simply say okay and show him the backpack and he will get in my car a taxi an airplane he just knows he's going somewhere he knows the deal that's his visual cue visual object and saying that on the visual I mean it can get quite scientific or very sort of specific because he hates visual charts absolutely hates them I'm not allowed to have them anywhere up at home and I'm starting to wonder if whether he thinks they are childish And I wonder if that's not perhaps true. You know, they are toddler-like. He is not a toddler and there is nothing wrong with his cognition. He's a 12-year-old boy now. Don't give me the sunny picture for sunny day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. (laughs) So I don't know, you know. (laughs) Again, on the auditory side, again, processing. Yes, we have to have a lot of patience. Yes, if there are any signs of dysregulation, they're going to need more time to process the information. And... Yes, think about the demand, um, you know, in your voice and in the language you use. And again, uh, preparing them. Uh, Often with Henry, I think he's very aware of time, but he experiences it differently and he runs very much on a body clock. So for me to then use those wonderful words that I think SLTs give you first and then or now and then. So saying his name first to get his attention so he knows I'm talking to him. Henry, first car, then swimming. And constantly along the routes reminding him, 
first this, then that. Just helping set his expectations, especially when it's something that's not on his terms or that's a bit unfamiliar or that's not part of his daily routine, like going on holiday. What else can I talk about here? Yes, I've mentioned that the tone of voice, that's quite a new one for me. And if you think about it, you know, getting dressed and brushing your teeth, those are hugely complicated tasks. If we're dealing with ADHD on top of the autism or with autism, you know, there's there's a lot of the mind is going to get very bored over these things. <laughs> and there is an awful amount of planning, sequencing, coordinating and staying on task involved with simply just brushing your teeth. You have to know to pick up the toothbrush first. You have to open the toothpaste. You have to get the toothpaste onto quite a small brush head. You have to turn the tap on. You have to remember the order. You have to turn the tap off at the end. It's a big deal. <laughs> so again, you know, sort of have some sympathy for for what we are asking them to do with their bodies and coordinate. And I mean, that comes after having coordinated getting dressed, having, you know, put their clothes on and, and determining what the weather's like and, and what, what is appropriate to wear and what isn't. I, I probably need to stop now. <laughs> and I just hope that some of these little, little things have helped you to, to get through your day. There's obviously the sleep onset can be a real issue for autistic children. Tap into that melatonin when you can. It's a very complicated journey. But it's an absolute game changer, even if you're only able to use it every few nights, just to help them to actually settle to sleep. Eating again, gosh, whole nother ball game. So much about eating has got nothing to do with the actual food and the demands and the expectations we're putting on them of putting their bodies in a chair, holding their core muscles to sit in the chair, using utensils, the expectation of the social element with other people at the table, all the sensory onslaught that is involved. Again, scale back, scale back, scale back. It might not necessarily be about the food. <laughs> it's about their expectations and what they can cope with. I want to now end off by saying that it's not just your child's regulation that is key here. It's your own regulation. And I definitely won't mention those swear words called self-care. <laughs> But I will say that co-regulation is a really important thing to consider. It's basically you, the main caregiver parent, the trusted one with your child, your autistic child. You and your autistic child co-regulating together. You will be astonished at how in tune they are with every fiber of your being, every mood, every stress level, every hormonal imbalance every every feeling and you do not have to be superhuman you do not have to be this perfect you know even keeled plateau for them because they are not that and they know they cannot be that every day but I often think we are so invested in ensuring their regulation that we forget about our own and it's vitally important to them that we are okay too so take a moment to think about what that means for you whether it's a simple moment of gratitude each morning whether it's counting one win every day before you close your eyes and go to sleep whether it's having that cold cup of coffee with bare feet out in the grass outside by yourself for two minutes whatever it is 
and know that your child knows, you know, know that, know that they know you're doing everything you can. They don't expect you to be perfect. And you've got this together as long as you can both have a moment in a day or one in a week, whatever it takes, where you both just truly connect, where everything else is stripped away. And there's just whatever form that connection takes. You know, you can do this. You can do this together and you will. Don't forget, my podcast episodes will one day eventually turn into blogs. (laughs) I'm sorely behind on that front. And have a great couple of weeks. You are not alone and your child is going to be okay. Okay.